Coming to you live from a barbecue shack near you, it's the SEC Slow Smoke Podcast. We've got the sweet tea, the white bread, and a whole lot of slow smoke takes lined up. So put down your turkey burger, turn up the volume, and grab your hog, because it's about to be on. Oh, yeah. Now, say hello to your self-proclaimed food and sports experts, the utterly enthusiastic Holt Smash, and the one and only Tinder King of Memphis, Mr. JB the underscore Brooks. And now, here's your host, always full of ship, Alex Bullship One. Welcome back to the official SEC Slow Smoke Podcast. This is week one preview, or excuse me, week one recap. I'm your host, Alex, and I got my bros, Holt Smash and Mr. JB Brooks on the line. Start with Holt Smash. What's up? Hey, Alex. Hope you're doing good. It was a good uh, first week of college football and, um, you know, kind of an interesting week for the SEC, but uh you know, I'm really excited to uh, be back here and talk with you. And I uh, do apologize to everybody for being a day delayed. Fortunately, there were some some travel restrictions yesterday. Um, obviously, you had to make the trip back to Atlanta. We were not able to record. But coming to you a day late, and uh, hopefully uh, we didn't, you know, you didn't miss us too much. Yeah, um, I was going to play it off like we were uh, affected by Hurricane Dorian, but uh, can't can't quite lie to everyone. But you are right about one thing, Holt. Uh, good opening weekend for college football. More so good for me and you than some of us. Am I right, JB? Yes, you are absolutely right, Mr. Bullship. One. JB, worst program loss in school history for Tennessee? Yeah, yeah, definitely. What would be the uh, second? What would be the, what would be the second? Because I was trying to think about this for a second. I mean, I don't know how many – bad losses they've really had. I mean, it's a bad SEC losses, but I can't think of them. Uh, the second, the first loss of the program is either Memphis or Wyoming. Memphis in 96? Yeah, Memphis in 96 or Wyoming in 2008. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll definitely dive into what's going on with Tennessee and how you should feel as a Tennessee fan from a Tennessee fan. So we'll, uh, we're excited about that. Um, SEC in general holds – did not look like the SC of past the past like five ten years where we were just dominating. Not only did Tennessee lose, but even some teams that won didn't look as convincing as they should have. For instance, uh, Arkansas won, but uh, not by as much as they should have to Portland State. Yeah, that's right. It was pretty, you know, especially the bottom half. That state definitely did not really look all that great. And you know, Arkansas, you kind of hope to see. Um, some progress on offense is something that we talked about last week. It's something Arkansas wanted to see was just some progress in the offensive side of the ball, and we did really see a lot of that. Obviously, Rakeem Boyd had a big game, uh, over 100 yards rushing. Uh, but the quarterback situation still looks to be a little in flux. Hicks didn't really look all that great. They brought Starkle in. He didn't play great either. So, um, you know, definitely would have liked to see them do a little bit more. You know, I'm sure they were very, you know, vanilla in, like, what they were doing this week. Because um, they know week two is uh, is probably one of the biggest games um, of the year for them. 
and uh, you know maybe they just want to hold back a little bit. But still, I mean, when you're playing a team like Portland State, an FCS team that really isn't even a, a good FCS team, you know, you really hope to uh, to win that game a little more handily and maybe move the ball a little bit easier on offense. I mean, the the defense did play pretty well, and so I guess that's something to kind of you know be excited about. Um, you know, I don't know how much stock you can really put into this game, but you would just like to have seen the offense play a little bit better. We have gotten a lot of shit in our power rankings hole for putting uh, Tennessee ahead of Arkansas, even though Arkansas won and Tennessee lost to Georgia State. Are you saying it's justified in putting Arkansas at number 14? Or really, I mean, it's kind of like one of those, in my mind, it's kind of like one of those things from Ole Miss, Tennessee, and Arkansas. You really just don't know how bad those teams are. So you can kind of group them together if you really wanted to. Yeah, and I mean, I think Arkansas is probably, you know, the one team in the SEC that, I mean, they really have to, like, go do something before I think you're really going to buy into them. Um, you know, obviously, they had such a bad year last year. I know this is a new year, but, you know, it's hard not to think about last year. And, you know, they obviously were not very convincing uh, on Saturday. And, um, you know, I mean, you just like to see a little bit more. And, um, you know, there is seven-point – uh, underdog to Ole Miss, who you know just looked like complete crap week one, and you know lost to to Memphis. Um, so I mean, I think it's justified. I think it's fair. Um, these rankings, power rankings, aren't based on win loss record. They're not based on you know conference standings or anything like that. I mean, they're just based on like who we think the best teams are. And right now, I just don't think that um, Arkansas is. You know, I think they just need to prove something before, you know, we get to the point where, you know, they're going to be moving up in our, our uh, very prestigious power rankings. Very prestigious power rankings. Before we get any further, let's kind of set the schedule for the show just so you know where we're going with this and we don't uh, talk about Arkansas for the next 30 minutes. All right, so we're going to we're gonna talk about uh, each, each game uh, here and there, um, some more in depth than others. And in the SEC, and then we're going to talk about some national games, obviously, as well. And then we're going to um, – we have some bullet points that we want to cover here. And uh, not sure what order we're going to go here, but we'll just kind of go with the flow. But we're going to talk – we're going to have our SEC Players of the Week, um, our favorite segment, I think JB's favorite segment, the What a Chicken segment, where we talk about the biggest, I guess, chicken, pansy, whatever, expletive – word you want to say to say somebody that uh, call out somebody that was just not playing up to the standard. Um, also, we'll go into which team, which team that lost this week is the most likely to rebound. And on the other end of the spectrum, which team that won this week is, that should, should not get so much hype or credit for their win. Um, and then we're also going to uh, talk about the exciting hot seat that is seems like it. It's always, it's always taken one or two coaches every year. But we'll uh, we'll go into detail to see which one of these losing coaches is on the hottest seat. Um, so before we get started into this schedule, let's just uh, talk about the weekend in general. So it was a fun weekend, just because college football as college football started, and as JB likes to say, um, it is like uh, Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. I don't know what, what exactly do you say, JB. I say that Christmas Eve is the Friday before opening day, and then Saturday is Christmas Day. Okay, I got you. And for this Christmas Day, JB, you watch you watch football. You went to the Ole Miss Memphis game uh, with me, but not with me. If that makes sense, but we were there together, but not we didn't go together. 
Um, not the most exciting game, but still a fun game to go. Um, I'm just excited to hear about um, the games you watch, but really I want to talk about what did you eat this weekend because that's a big part of our show as well. Um, so just give me what the most exciting thing you ate this weekend, JB. Uh, I would say Sunday morning was my favorite. We had, we've made a uh, really epic breakfast uh, Sunday morning. We did uh, breakfast sandwiches on biscuits, and we cooked uh, country ham, uh, bacon, and sausage. Uh, we also had some eggs uh, to put on the uh, biscuits as well, and cheddar cheese. Uh, we also did um, fruit sticks with like different, various different fruits uh, that you can that you can pick from. Uh, we also had a hash brown casserole. And let me think, what else? Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much about it. Uh, maybe Holt can think of what else was on that spread that I'm forgetting. Did you say the uh, the waffle chicken oh, yeah. bites? Yeah. yeah, the waffle chicken bites. We had those as well. Yeah, it was like a little like little pieces of waffles that like made a sandwich with like a little piece of fried chicken in the middle. It was really good. How much of this did you all cook? Um, I cooked exactly zero of this. JB, did you? I cooked, did you I, I cooked about thirty percent of it. Did you cook or eat any of the eggs? Because I, I I remember that you can't eat eggs, so I'm, I'm confused. I, I cooked the eggs. You can cook eggs, but you can't eat them. No, I can't it's, not eat eggs. And you you learned over the years how to cook eggs, despite how not never eating eggs. Correct. That is quite ironic. So the breakfast casserole was the best. Um, at the tailgate on Saturday, JB, did you get get any good food? I did. Uh, we uh, flip flopped between two tailgates. Uh, uh, the main tailgate I went to was actually an indoor tailgate, which was nice because it was away from the heat. And uh, we had some, you know, various breakfast foods. We had a uh, sausage and bacon. Uh, they had an assortment of uh, donuts as well, and um, they also had free beer, uh, free soft drinks. But I did not indulge in any of those. I actually had all water bottles because I was just ready to uh, be hydrated going into the game. Because I think like an adult and not like a frat boy, I actually want to be hydrated and be able to. Uh, get through the game and not suffer. Did you remember to put sunscreen on that? That is one thing I did not remember. I ate like a lobster in the sun on that, during that game. And I came away with a really shiny red forehead and a awesome raccoon looking sunglasses tan. Interesting. Holt, what's the most you move from 11 a.m. Saturday to 11 p.m.? Oh, we'll say 1030. No, we'll say, we can say 11 p.m. probably. Um, I think I jumped up and shot at something when Bo Nix threw that touchdown pass at the end of the game, but I think other than that, I didn't move very much at all. Yeah, so in other words, it was a great day. Yeah, the best kind of day ever. Just sat on the couch and watched football all day. Luckily, uh, team played at the 11 a.m. slot, and I didn't think they played that well, but compared to some other SEC teams, I think we did okay. And then got that out of the way and just got to enjoy a whole day of uh, college football. I think for next Saturday, we need to um, we need to take a screenshot of the setup. I don't know if we've already done that for the, for Twitter, but we need to set, uh, show everyone the the setup because it is quite impressive. It's not it doesn't it's not the biggest TV screens, but it's what you want. You have three TV screens. You have a big screen, a and then two TVs on the left and right. One is streaming and one is cable box. So um, you have your first string TV is the middle TV. 
The second string is the cable box TV on the left that's smaller, and the, the third string is the streaming TV on the right. Do I have that correct, Holt? Yeah, that's right. And, um, you know, we're always looking to add more TVs, so maybe trip <laughs> to Best Buy soon and buying another one. You just never know. Is there ever an argument between the two of you for which TV gets which game? I would say no. Uh, we always pretty much agree on the main game, on the on you know the uh, biggest TV, and we it's not really going to be a, really much of an issue between us about which games to put on of the of the main two. Uh, the streaming TV, we could also put a cable box on it if we really wanted to, but we just use it to stream, just, you know, less trouble, less hectic. But, I mean, we already know what the primary game is going to be every week. But, I mean, Hold and I already have an agreement that uh, we could always go to the game room, too, if we just want to be in control and don't want to be in the main headquarters. I got you. I got you. Well, that's, that's good, then. That's good. Um, all right, let's 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 switch over to the games real quick. Um, so let's just talk about, talk about the top half of our power rankings real quick. It seems that we'll, uh, Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Auburn, and even A&M. Out of all of those teams, which team were you most impressed with, JB? Uh, you'd actually not believe it, but I'm, I was really, really impressed with LSU. I mean, maybe it's just relative to how everyone else in the conference performed this weekend, uh, but – they really went out there and took care of business on both sides of the ball. Uh, Joe Burrow in the offense was moving the ball at ease against that Georgia Southern defense, and they were making the stops that you would expect their defense to be. And they just went out there and took care of business. That's what a good team is supposed to do. Teams in the conference this weekend, but LSU took care of business, and I really feel like they look like a uh, top five team, you know, taking care of business and blowing out a pretty uh, decent group of five team. LSU is one of those teams that, in my mind at least, have, and I don't have the actual games in front of me to prove it, but I feel like they they mess around with inferior opponents a lot of times um, and don't beat down. I mean, maybe I'm wrong because I don't have the list of games in front of me, but it seems to me like I just think about the uh, game against Troy when they lost and other games where they're, their defense is always great, but their offense just, just doesn't score 50 points like they did this week. So um, I agree with you, JB, that this is a team that – we should watch out for if they continue playing offense like this. And really, it all depends on Joe Burrow. And it's it's funny, you listen to any of the um, talking heads talk about LSU football, and it, everybody keeps saying Joe Brady, Joe Brady. That's the difference this year is Joe Brady. And every time I hear that, like I have to like uh, do a double take or make sure I hear the right thing because I'm like, are, are they really just messing up Joe Burrow's name this much? But I didn't realize Joe Brady was this big of a deal. Yeah, it's kind of been a thing this year. I don't really – quite see that but you know we're gonna find out next week they go to texas and that uh, should be uh kind of a good litmus test for where uh, lsu's at right now i mean it's great that they came out and had a huge game against georgia southern um georgia southern is a pretty solid program so it's definitely you know it's not it's nothing to sneeze at but you know we've seen this before from lsu where they come out week one and just put up a ton of offense on some you know lower level team and you know when november rolls around it ends up being the same old story again so you know it'll be interesting to see if they can actually keep it up for the whole season if this is legit this year or if this is still you know the same old lsu offense yeah like you said hold georgia southern isn't a bad group of five program by any means they won 10 games last year and i actually i was actually if i was a betting man which i'm not for for college football at least um i th- i would think that this is a game that you should have taken the um 
taking Georgia Southern to cover the spread or however, however you say it, but I guess it's not bet on LSU to cover the spread, um, which I think at that point is Georgia Southern covering the spread just because Georgia Southern won 10 games and LSU doesn't always play well against uh, inferior opponents. Um, all right, hold, let's, let's stay with the, uh, the top half of the power rankings. Um, is Auburn the luckiest team in the SEC for the like 10th year in a row? Uh, it looks as though Auburn Jesus is still alive and well, as I tweeted on Saturday night. Um, it just seems like they always find a way. And it isn't always like, you know, because they make good decisions or good plays. A lot of times it's because, like, the other team will do something stupid or, like, something really lucky will just break their way. And uh, it kind of happened again on uh, on Saturday night. I mean, you know, I'm not trying to take anything away from Auburn. Well, obviously, we, uh, you know, all of us, I think, are pretty high on Auburn this year. I picked them to go, like, 10-2 this year, I believe, or 9-3. and three. So, you know, I mean, I definitely believe in this team. Um, it's just – you know, if you if you talk to like an Oregon fan today, I bet you they're saying like, "How the hell did we lose that game?" Because I mean, they they're really in control the entire game, um, just complete and total control, and um, they stopped the run really well um, on defense, and you know, looked like they were gonna kind of run away with it, um, but Auburn just kept hanging around, and hanging around, and uh, eventually was able to get a couple big plays at the end of the game, and finally got that run game going a little bit on those last few drives. And, uh, you know, they had that, you know, long touchdown pass to Seth Williams, I believe, um, made a great catch and uh, won him the game. And, you know, it's it's good. I mean, I guess it's good for the SEC. You know, the SEC kind of needed that win, I guess, for some perception. But, um, you know, for Auburn, I mean, yeah, it's great that you won the game, but it's obvious that they still have uh, some things they're working through right now. Did Justin Herbert look like a first-round draft pick to you, Holt? You know, in the first half, I thought he looked really well. I thought he looked really good. Um, you know, I think he's really athletic. He's got a really good arm. He's obviously a pretty big dude as well. So, you know, I mean, I guess so. Like, he looks kind of like a prototypical guy. You would like to see him, you know, uh, lead his team to a win in a game like that. Um, you know, obviously the whole second half, it looked like they were just kind of sputtering. And I, I think that really had more to do with coaching than him. I think Cristobal just got a little bit conservative. And um, didn't really – the offense really just wasn't as aggressive as it was in the first half and um, you know, kind of falls more on the coach than Herbert. But I still believe in Herbert as a quarterback going forward. <clears throat> well, what I would say about Herbert is that it's like every year somebody – some quarterback has to go in the first round. And this year, I don't know if there's – I mean, besides, I guess, Tua maybe, I don't know if there's really any NFL quarterbacks – that are that great. So, I mean, somebody has to go in the first round. I feel like he's just going to be the one that kind of slides into that spot by default because I just don't see the top quarterbacks coming out this year. I mean, you could, I guess, say Jake Fromm too, but I, I don't know who it, who it would be besides Herbert. Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at Jake Fromm maybe. I mean, just – I mean, really just like a couple other guys. I mean, there isn't really anyone that really sticks out, um, you know, but – at the same time, some of these guys get this hype around them and everyone's talking about them. You know, it's kind of like Drew Locke last year a little bit. You know what I mean? He just had he just had a lot of hype and, you know, he's got a strong arm and, you know, just everybody, you know, it, it kind of turns into like a hype train. Jamie, did you tear up when Bo Nix threw that touchdown pass? And I don't know if you saw it on Twitter or on TV after the fact, but they did a replay, like a flashback to when uh, Bo Nix's dad threw a touchdown pass a game-winning touchdown pass. I don't know who it was or when it was, but it was just like a flashback, and they they did like a 
they did like a basic comparison of when Bo Nix's dad threw a touchdown pass to when Bo Nix just threw a touchdown pass against Oregon, a big team. Um, I don't know if that brought out the sentimental value in you or what, JB? Uh, to me, it's just, you know, an excellent start to uh, a dream guy's career. Uh, he's, that's just the first of uh, many great plays that I think we're going to see out of Bo Nix at Auburn. And I think he has the potential to be an all-time great at Auburn. Uh, he's a was a highly touted recruit. I mean, I don't think it was a five star. He's a four star, but he's playing for his you know his favorite team. He's always going to leave it his heart and soul out on the field, and it's going to be a really fun three or four years with that uh, Bonex at quarterback. He definitely played like a true freshman, though. I mean, he definitely That's... had some mistakes. He's really got a long. way. I'm not going to sit here and act like he played a good game because you know that last moment you know was great and all, but I think that really had more to do with the receiver than him. And, um, you know, I think he's really talented. He's a really good runner, uh, really fast. Um, but, he, you know, he definitely is still a freshman, and he's still working through some of those freshman mistakes. But, you know, I do agree. I think he's got the potential. And, um, you know, I, I think that he could have a good career at Auburn. Um, you know, hopefully they can just break the trend of Gus Malzahn quarterbacks, you know, playing well after the first year. You can see the talent. I would agree with you, Old. You can definitely see the talent with Bo Nix, but it's just raw at this point. He's not, he's not, um, he's not uh, whatever it's called. Uh, I can't think of the word, but he's not uh, progressed yet enough to be a, a reliable quarterback. Like if if he could turn into something reliable, like Jake Fromm with his athletic ability, uh, with Bo Nix's athletic ability, but being as reliable as somebody like Jake Fromm, I think he would be really really great for Auburn I think he will be there in a couple of years if not at by the end of this year or next year um oh were you impressed with Auburn's defense uh to me it looks a little uh little suspect in the first quarter because they were um they were kind of like uh couldn't keep up with the fast-paced Oregon offense when I was watching yeah well, I think it's the same problem they were having last year I mean I think the defensive line is really talented and they're really good um you know, it's just the secondary, I just think, is not elite. Um, to put it mildly, they're a uh, very average unit right now. And, um, you know, Oregon's receivers and tight ends made a lot of plays, uh, especially in the first half. Um, but in the second half, the defensive line really started to take the game over. They really started to slow that running game down and uh, were able to get after, um, you know, be able to get after Herbert a little bit more. And I still think this Auburn defense has potential to be pretty good. I mean, anytime you can dominate on the defensive line, you're going to have a good defense. And they've definitely got the guys up front to, uh, you know, have a really solid this year. Stay with you, Holtz. Should you be worried as an Alabama fan that they went scoreless in the first quarter? Uh, no, not at all. Um, I think that Alabama was probably the most impressive-looking team I saw this past weekend. Um, just throughout the entire country. I mean, they're, they're just uh, such a complete team. Uh, I mean, obviously, Tua, you know, only throwing like four or five incomplete passes and throwing for like, you know, 300-something yards. And then, uh, you know, that defense holding Duke to three points is impressive. Your quarterback, I know that he, um, you know, it's his first year being like the guy, but, you know, he's a fifth-year senior. He's a really good quarterback. Cutcliffe is a really solid offensive mind, so – being able to hold Duke to three points, I think, is really impressive. And uh, not a lot of people like to give Alabama credit, but I think that defense has a chance to really improve this year based on where they were last year. And the offense has a chance to be uh, just as good, especially if they can get uh, Najee Harris going. 
Yeah, um, it was – we were joking about it because we were watching this game together, a little bit of it at least, and this was not a big screen game for long, right, Holt? No, it was not. I mean, it, well, actually, it was at first just because there wasn't really another good 230 game on. Um, unfortunately, uh, the Tennessee game did turn into probably the best game during this time slot, so I was watching that a decent amount, um, especially once Alabama started to pull away a little bit. And then, obviously, that North Carolina-South Carolina game, I believe, was going on at the same time as well. So, it was, uh, you know, definitely not the most exciting game. But, you know, for an Alabama fan, uh, I think you have to be pretty excited with uh, with how they looked. And it looks to be another year where they're probably just going to roll right through their schedule. JB, do you have anything to add? Uh, I mean – I'm really just kind of just looking forward to, uh, you know, next week's games. If you want me to add anything to you. Uh, but, yeah, like I said, like during that time slot, you know, it, it was not the greatest. But, you know, it's week one. But, you know, it's going to get better, you know, as the season progresses. Yeah, once again, the conference play, we're going to start seeing a lot better matchups and not so many blowouts. Uh, you know, there will be less games total, obviously. But, um, you know, it's, it's going to be good to uh, – you know, just have those conference games and just have more more closely contested games. So, for sure. JB, is there anything you can tell us from this Texas A&M blowout? Um, I think we ranked them fifth in the power rankings. Uh, I'm not looking at it, but I think it was around fifth in the power rankings. But how much can you really tell from Texas A&M blowing out Texas State? I mean, they did exactly what they were supposed to do. Um, I don't think that Jimbo Fisher was trying to show too much in this game. And, uh, you know, he let Kellen Mond uh, have a little bit of, you know, free reign, but uh, he didn't want to show too much in that offense. And uh, Elko's defense did play pretty well, too, uh, throughout the game. So, I mean, it was it's exactly what you'd want as an A&M fan. And I'm anxious to see, you know, how they're going to look against uh, the number one team in the country this next weekend. But it was a good start for Jimbo. And uh, they got to relax on Saturday and, you know, scout their next opponent in Clemson, who uh, – or actually, no, no, shoot, they did not because Clemson played Thursday night. But I'm, I'm excited to uh, see what Jimbo has for uh, Debo Sweeney in Clemson this next Saturday. Man, uh, you're, you're, you're really excited for the week two preview, sounds like. I mean, I am too, but like – Already. Yeah. yeah, you're ready for it, sounds like. Um, all right. Uh, so, stay with you, JB, because I, I want you to talk about a game that happened this past week. Let's talk about the Georgia-Vanderbilt game, JB. Uh, Georgia obviously won this game. I, I mean, this is, sounds kind of crazy, but I don't think Vanderbilt looked as bad as they could have in a loss. Or out of the teams that lost, I mean, it was – I don't know if you can have an impressive loss, but like, I just don't think it was that discouraging of a loss against Georgia, even though it was 30-6. to No, I mean, it really wasn't. I mean, I thought Neil uh, did pretty well. I mean, he only had 85 yards, but, you know, he threw, um, you know – Pretty decent throw percentage, uh, completion percentage, excuse me. And uh, Keyshawn Vaughn, uh, you know, had 15 carries for 74 yards. But it's just, you know, you're playing a really, really good team. And, I mean, let's face it, it was pretty much like a road game for Vanderbilt. I mean, they had their fans outnumbered by Georgia fans about, you know, two to one. So it was mostly Georgia fans that are in Nashville, and it was like a home game for them. But uh, you know, it was. Vanderbilt, do what? I said it, it was. It was uh, kind of impressive to see on TV. Yeah, for sure. But, I mean, Vanderbilt's got a little bit to build on. Like I said, uh, you know, in the Vanderbilt preview a few weeks ago, that they lost a lot of uh, seniors from last year's team, over 20. 
senior-laden led team, lots of experience in the two deep. So, I mean, this year is kind of a regrouping year for Derek Mason and his Vanderbilt program. Yeah, no, another thing to watch out for um, or to think about in this game, um, Vanderbilt held Georgia to one of seven on third down in this game. Um, really played a, a pretty solid game on defense. I mean, I know they, they gave up a lot of rushing yards, but Georgia is just a, you know, they're just a monster on offense. They're going to run the ball. But, uh, you know, really the second half they held Georgia to nine points um, after 21 in the first half. So, you know, it was really a, a solid defensive performance by Vanderbilt. And, um, you know, it's really kind of promising. Um, hopefully they're able to keep it up. I think offensively they um, – we're not good, um, to put it mildly. Um, I just didn't think they were very creative. They didn't really uh, get Keyshawn Vaughn as uh, involved as they probably should have. Um, I don't know if they were just thinking, like, they wanted to save him or, you know, exactly what the thinking was there. Um, but it was just kind of hard to get, get him involved. I mean, he did have 15 carries, but, you know, just the way they were getting him the ball, they just didn't really seem like uh, – you know, I just would have liked to see them get him a little bit more involved in this game and uh, put him in some better positions. And then the quarterback, you know, only had 85 yards passing. You know, just looks kind of kind of lost out there in his first start. Um, they actually played the backup, Deuce Wallace, as well, um, a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how that offense can progress going forward. But I think defensively, you know, they showed some good things, especially on third down. I mean, that's kind of the – you know, that's kind of what coaches look at nowadays is kind of what a lot of analysts look at is that third down percentage. And holding Georgia to uh, one of seven on third down, then 0 for one on fourth down. I mean, that's pretty impressive for uh, for that Vanderbilt defense. Oh, how do you think that works being the – being basically being a the away team in your own home stadium like Vanderbilt was? It's definitely day? it's definitely a mental thing. Uh, it's definitely very frustrating. Um you know, I know for those Vanderbilt players, like, they really look forward to those big home games, especially the first game of the season. You know, you're really excited to go out and play in front of your home fans and then to have the other team's fan base just kind of totally take over the stadium. has got to be a little disheartening. It's got to give Georgia a little bit of a mental edge in that game. Um, you know, it just kind of sucks that Vanderbilt doesn't get more support. Um, you know, I, I just – I think it's kind of – uh, one of the more disappointing things you see in this conference is just uh, the lack of support that – the Vanderbilt fans uh, give to their program. And, uh, you know, I mean, look, we, we have a lot of Vanderbilt fans that listen to this podcast. I think our Vanderbilt preview is actually the highest rated preview we did this year. So I know that they're out there and I know that Vanderbilt <laughs> does have passionate fans, but it's just, they really need to support this team better. And it really, I mean, honestly, it starts with the boosters even more so than like the, you know, the, your regular fan, but just stuff like this, you know, is just kind of why like Vanderbilt is where they are, you know, in the, in the conference pecking order. I mean, they got to, you know, they got to fill up their stadium. They got to donate more money to the, to the university and the, you know, the athletic program if they want to, uh, you know, step their game up. I just think about the poor PA announcer who has to like pretend, pretend like whenever he Vanderbilt does something good, they have to like yell or they have to say something like very loud and positive on the, the PA for Vanderbilt when like nobody's cheering for them. And they have to like say like touchdown Georgia really quietly whenever Georgia scored a touchdown. I just – I couldn't imagine being there and just hearing what it's like. And I, actually, I, I guess I, I take that back. I can because as a Memphis fan, that happens a lot whenever um, an SEC team, a.k.a. either Ole Miss or Tennessee play at the Liberty Bowl. It's, especially Tennessee, it's it's definitely uh, – we're me and JB were talking about how uh, Tennessee takes over the Liberty Bowl when Memphis plays. Um, so I do understand it a little bit. But um, Vanderbilt, on the other end, is in the SEC, so they, they should – 
compete more with their SEC teams as opposed to Memphis. So that's all I got to say about that. Um, but it was a good win for Georgia, um, just a strong win. And what, what I do like about uh, Georgia is they they look more and more like Alabama every game or every year um, just because they – it's like I don't know about you. Um, I guess I'll ask JB. I don't know about you, JB, but to me, they they remind me like a lot like Alabama because they just have these like very slow, dominating beatdown performances. They do, and uh, that's I mean that's just a testament of uh, what Kirby Smart has built at Georgia. I mean he is absolutely up the talent level there, and uh, he's slowly closing the gap on the talent level that uh, Nick Saban has at Alabama. So I mean it's going to become the new norm for that program. Few more games to talk about. Uh, Holt is or can Mac Brown still coach? Um, it looks like it. Um, obviously, getting that big win against South Carolina. You know, South Carolina was was leading this game for most of it. it. Looked like they were in pretty, you know, pretty much in control. And then the fourth quarter rolled around, and uh, North Carolina just started hitting on some deep balls. I and mean, they just they weren't doing anything special. They were just like lining up and just you know, running a receiver down the field, down the sideline, and the quarterback was just throwing it up to him, and they were able to connect on three or four of those. Um, one dude made a great catch in the end zone for a touchdown. And uh, that South Carolina offense, just it just stalled. I mean, like, it just it hit a wall. They played, you know, decently in the first half. And then especially, like, once that fourth quarter rolled around, it's just like they could not do anything on the offensive side of the ball. And I don't know if that was Bentley or if that's just Muschamp or if that's the offensive coordinator or what the problem is, but they just – they could not get anything going on offense. Jake Bentley really, really struggled in, the, in that fourth quarter, and uh, they had a few chances to, to win this game and a few chances to put it away, and they just couldn't do it. And, uh, you know, the North Carolina finally started hitting those big plays in the second half, and uh, they were able to get away with the win, even though Mac Brown decided to take a knee on his own 50-yard line on fourth down and give <laughs> Carolina a chance to throw a – Hail Mary, and, you know, I mean, it ended up working out for him. But, you know, South Carolina had every opportunity in the world to win this game. And I don't think that North Carolina is a better team than they are. I just think that, you know, things kind of broke their way. And South Carolina's offense just went cold at the wrong time. Let me let me ask you real quick, Cole. Um, that last kneel down from North Carolina at the 50, do you think that was a mental error from the quarterback or was that an actual play call from Mac Brown? Well, I think what they wanted to do was they wanted him to, like, run around or something and then, like, fall down. Um, I'm not really sure. Um, I would have just punted it, but I guess, like, after that Michigan-Michigan State game a few years ago, coaches were afraid to do that. And uh, something actually similar happened in the Mississippi State-Louisiana-Lafayette game, uh, but it was right before halftime instead of the end of the game, um, where you thought that they were about to go for the Hail Mary and said they just took a knee before halftime on a fourth down. and uh, But it was basically just – you know, I think he was just trying to avoid a turnover or something crazy happening. But uh, it ended up giving South Carolina a chance to, uh, you know, to throw – basically have two shots at the end zone at the end of that game. And, uh, you know, luckily for them, they were able to, to escape it because if, if South Carolina had scored a touchdown right there and won the game, I mean, I think we're all sitting here talking about Mac Brown doesn't know what he's doing and he's, you know, yeah. or something. That's the great thing about playing Monday morning quarterback is you can always – you can always have revisionist history and say, like, oh, why, why didn't you do this? Well, I mean, just because North Carolina won or Jake Bentley didn't complete a 50-yard touchdown, Hail Mary pass, now uh, Matt Brown can coach and Will Muschamp can. It's, it's funny how it all works out. Um, JB, if you're South Carolina, 
how disappointed are you? Because to me, this is a game they have to win against North Carolina, given how tough their schedule is. Absolutely. I mean, we discussed discussed this, excuse me, in the uh, preview for South Carolina a few weeks ago, and this is one of those games that they had absolutely had to win, in my opinion, uh, for their path. You know, to be able to get six wins or more and make it to a bowl. With this loss, it's absolutely devastating for Will Bush program, and and just judging by the way they played and who they have left to play, uh, and and now with Jake Bentley going down and putting a true freshman quarterback in, granted a really talented true freshman quarterback, but still inexperienced. Uh, hopefully, Kalinsky will be the spark uh, they need. But uh, it, it definitely looks murky in South Carolina and Columbia, South Carolina. The, the future is very murky, and I don't know if uh, if I see a path for them to make it to a bowl after that devastating loss to UNC. And this is a game that South Carolina really wanted to win, too. I mean, this is like – you know, those two teams don't play very often, but their fan bases are very close together. You know, they share a lot of big there. There's, you know, a lot of both fan bases, um, you know, in that area. So this was a really big game for South Carolina fans. It was definitely one that they expected to win. And uh, they're obviously really disappointed. And I think, you know, going into this season, you know, there was a lot of talk about, you know, oh, South Carolina fans understand that this is a really tough schedule and they understand, understand. But until you actually, like, go through this season and you kind of see how it goes, I'm not so sure that, you know, within a halfway through this season, there aren't going to be people calling for Will Muschamp's job. I, I definitely think that, uh, that that's coming, especially after losing this game. You know, I think, it, you know, had they lost the, you know, obviously they have four really good teams in their schedule. If they lose those four games, I don't think anyone really complains. But when you lose a game like this, a game that you should have won, a game that is important to the fan base, and a game that you're probably not going to get to avenge anytime soon, I'm not sure if they're scheduled to play again anytime soon, but – they usually do not play, so, um, you know, I definitely think that uh, Will Muschamp is killing it right now. Holt, were you more impressed with North Carolina's freshman quarterback or Mac Brown's post-game dance moves in the locker room? Well, you know, the quarterback did play really well, but those dance moves were pretty sick. And uh, Mac Brown's actually, not young, you know. No, he's not, but you know what? He's, he's still got it. Um he, he was definitely getting down in the locker room. The players were, were feeling it. And, you know, those videos, like, just never get old. Like, I could watch, like, a million of those and I'll never get tired of them. Um, I don't know why. Just something about, like, college football and coaches and, you know, college kids. It's just I don't know, something is just really unique and really cool. It's, it's funny if you think about it because another viral um, locker room dance video like that from a coach is Roy Williams at North Carolina. So, now you have Matt Brown and North Carolina – or Mac Brown and Roy Williams, both at North Carolina basketball and football, have that dance. I don't know if you remember the Roy, Roy Williams one hole, but it's when he comes in the locker room and he just yeah. like shake. That one's, I think that one's a little bit better than Mac Brown's, but I like Mac Brown's for a change. Is that not something you would expect from him? No, definitely not. You know, he's definitely a very straight-laced guy and very, you know, humble and, you know, Christian and, like, all that stuff, just very, you know – not self-centered. I mean, not that doing that would be self-centered or anything, but just, just very, just very humble, quiet and, you know, respectful type person. You just never like, you know, you just, it's just hard to picture him doing something like that until you actually see it. I think he was actually mad at the last play of the game where there was like the, the fumble, it was like a sack fumble and the guy, the defensive lineman returned it all the way to the end zone. So he just tried to score, but he like, that was I don't know, but that we were all watching to get that together. That was the most disrespectful move 
to like the South Carolina guy trying to tackle him. He just like either shook him off or like bitch slapped him down to the ground and just scored yeah. anyway. Well, he, he, didn't, he was like holding the ball up, like facing the crowd, like, go oh, look, I'm about to score. And then like the last second, he realized there was like a South Carolina guy like right there about to tackle him. <laughs> he like shoved him in the ground and then like kept like high stepping into the end zone. I don't think I've been. I don't think I've been even that disrespected on Xbox playing college football because you know when when somebody scores a touchdown in, on Xbox or PlayStation in your case hold, and like they they got they got that much green ahead of them, they'll get they'll get down to the end zone and they'll just run from the far right of the end zone all the way to the left end zone and do like a little chant. But I don't know if that was even as disrespectful as what that North Carolina player did. No, it wasn't. But you know what? I still enjoyed it. Yeah, and Mac, but Mac Brown did not. That's the point. <laughs> he is very straight laced. Um, other games, other games. Um, JB, can uh, Mark Stoops win a game convincingly? It doesn't seem like it. Uh, it seems like every time he plays a group of five opponent, it always makes it a little harder on himself than he really has to. But, you know, they got the W, and it matters uh, for the fans in London, and uh, they're off to a 1 0 start. And I still think they, you know, they still look good enough to me to uh, be a bowl team. Well, here, here's the thing, JB, is that Kentucky might be the biggest beneficiary of the SEC being down this year, especially the East with now it looks like Tennessee and South Carolina might be down. So Kentucky might have a little bit more of the upper hand than we originally thought. Yeah, I mean, just judging by the games that we saw on Saturday, there's some teams that, you know, we thought they were. Well, we thought they were, but they weren't we thought they were. <laughs> One of those teams, uh, Holt, is Mississippi State because Kentucky does have the annual big robbery game against Mississippi State. And Mississippi State um, didn't look very impressive against Louisiana Lafayette, but at the end of the day, they might have been one of the more impressive teams in SEC just because they didn't fuck around with them as much as some of the other teams did in SEC. Yeah, that's right. Um you know, definitely was a little bit closer than I would have liked to have seen. Um, but, you know, the offense played really well. Tommy Stevens looked really good. Um, he had a really good game. Uh, it was really the defense that, you know, kind of was struggling a little bit in this one. Um, you know, obviously they lost a lot of guys off the last year's team. A lot, of, You know, they had some suspensions. They had two starters suspended for, for this game on defense. So, um, you know, they really struggled stopping the run. Um, that was kind of the, the problem. Um, you know, you definitely don't like to see that. Um, you know, basically, uh, 163 total yard or 163 rushing yards for Lafayette in this game. Um, they kind of they had a few drives too. I mean, they were just like move the ball straight down the field and were able to you know basically just move the ball at will. So um, that's definitely concerning for Mississippi State. But you know, luckily on the offensive side of the ball, Colin Hill has a huge game. Uh, Tommy Stevens looks really good. As I said, I mean, basically. Um, you know, he knows that he's making all the right decisions. You know, there was a, a one play on the second drive where he got strip sacked, um, did not see the corner coming from the backside on a blitz. And, um, but other than that, I mean, he played, you know, really good game, you know, 20 of 30 passing, 236 yards, two touchdowns. And honestly, it could have been a lot more than that. Um, he was a few plays called back, um, did a penalty and they're running the ball so well that, um, you know, they, they were leaning on the running game a little bit more. But I think, he, he you know, if they really would have wanted to, they probably could have run 400 yards in this game or thrown for 400 yards in this game. And instead, they ended up going, you know, throwing for 236, rushing for 261. So, um, 
you know, really, really balanced attack, which you like to see. And uh, hopefully they can uh, keep this up going forward. Um, but yeah, I mean, as you said, it, it definitely at the time did not feel great. But, you know, looking back on it, like after watching the rest of the SEC teams play, you know, it wasn't uh, too bad. Let's move on here real quick, just to the interest of time. So I'm going to combine these last three games together just because it goes along with some of our topics here. So we have um, Ole Miss, Tennessee, and Missouri, all lost to teams that I would say they're favorites except for Ole Miss. Ole Miss wasn't favorite against Memphis, but um, at least Tennessee and Missouri were, I think, double-digit favorites against uh, Georgia State and Wyoming. Out of these three teams – JB, I'll, I'll give it to you because I feel like you're the you're the expert in this question. Which team is the most disappointing out of all these three? I mean, it has to be Tennessee losing at home to a uh, Georgia State program that went two and ten last year. Uh, you know, they were twenty six point favorite uh, according to uh, most Vegas uh, sports books, and I mean, it was just a absolutely abysmal effort by that entire uh, team and also the coaching staff. Jimmy, when did you lose hope for this game, and when did you lose hope for this season for Tennessee? I know it's kind of negative questions, but it's I mean we got to we got to let it all out today. Well, if I want to go ahead and be bluntly on, honest with you, uh, I can already tell you Jeremy Pruitt is not going to be the guy on Rocky Top. I I ignored the red flags, you know, with Derek Dooley. I I tried to ignore them with Butch Jones. I think Jeremy Pruitt might end up being worse than both of those guys. Uh, just he had no control over his players. His players were completely disinterested on the field. Uh, one of his players had a tweet out today uh, laughing at a tweet about uh, Georgia State collecting its $950,000 paycheck to uh, come into Knoxville and win the game. So, yeah, it's definitely not a good situation on Rocky Top. And I can tell you that Jeremy Pruitt will not be the guy. Uh, he is not going to win there. And I don't think he's just uh, lost some fans. I think he's already lost a bunch of fans because I think a lot of fans just have seen enough to know, you know, from previous coaches and to see the red flags early and not try to, you know, see against it because they want to see the positive. Let's um, let's slow this down a little bit, JB. It sounds like you're in like DEFCON 5 right now. Let me, let me ask a third party here. Hold. What do you think about what JB just said? Do you think this is just a fan overreacting in a moment – to a bad loss or do you are you if are you as a third party spectator should do you think you should be concerned for Tennessee or JB should be concerned for Tennessee and Jeremy Pruitt going forward I mean I understand they lost to Georgia State but in my mind this is something like I see on the freezing cold takes right now where Tennessee comes back and becomes bowl eligible for the year and then everybody looks at this Georgia State game as like a joke like it was just the first game of the year yeah, well, that's the thing is, I mean, uh, Jeremy Pruitt's not going to be judged based off of one game. Uh, he's going to be judged based off, um, you know, the entire season. And, you know, one way or another, they have 11 more games to play. And they have uh, some really talented young players on that team, especially on the offensive line, who are going to get better as the season goes on. And uh, that's really what this season's going to come down to is both lines of scrimmage. You know, they're having to play a lot of young guys there. And um, Georgia State – you know, kind of went with the old um, NCAA strategy of just running, like, zone reads and triple options out of the shotgun and just getting, like, four or five yards of play and eventually busting, like, a big one. Um, and Tennessee's defensive line just could not get any penetration, could not get any negative plays um, to force them off the field. And, 
offensively, Tennessee didn't play terribly. I mean, they, they definitely did not play great. Um, but I think that, you know, offensively, I think they're going to be okay. They're going to get better as the season goes on. Um, I do think that defensive line is pretty worrisome. Um, you know, they have to get better on that side of the ball. Um, you know, uh, as far as, you know, whether or not Jerry Pruitt's lost control of the team and stuff like that, I feel like that's always a little overblown. Um, I think that basically uh, the season is going to come down to, you know, the, you know, the, the whole course of the season, not just one game. Um, I understand like it really sucks. And, you know, obviously being a Mississippi state fan, like we lost to South Alabama a couple years ago and that like really sucks. And, but we ended up like fighting back and making it to a bowl game and had like a big win over Texas A&M that year. So, you know, things can bounce back. Things change. You know, I think, Tennessee is definitely talented enough to bounce back and make it to a bowl game this year. And, um, you know, it's not like the SEC East is murderer's row or anything right now. Uh, I think aside from Florida and Georgia, it's pretty much a toss-up for all the other teams that they play. So, you know, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how they bounce back. You know, obviously Pruitt being a defensive guy, hopefully he can get something figured out on that side of the ball. And I think offensively they they will continue to get better as the season goes on. Are there any Pruitt supporters still, JB, in Knoxville or at Tennessee fans? Um, yeah, there's definitely some supporters left. I mean, I'm just, uh, I've seen enough, you know, just from, yeah, I know I can't, I know it's almost saying it's ridiculous to judge by one game, but good, I don't even, to me, good coaches aren't going to lose games like that at home. I know Luke, Nick Saban, you know, lost a home game his first year to a Louisiana Monroe, but by year two, uh, with an improved team, you know, on paper, you shouldn't be losing your opener at home, especially, I like, you know, it wasn't just the uh, players that had no energy on the field. Uh, the coaches had no energy on the sidelines. Uh, everybody was just lackadaisical, disinterested. And it all stems down from the head coach and the leadership and the program. And right now the program just looks broken. I mean, we'll know more of when they play BYU this Saturday, but it's it's definitely not looking pretty in Knoxville at the moment. They are favored by three points against BYU, believe it or not. Um, I think they're going to fight, fight – pretty hard against BYU and I think they're gonna wake up but like you said JB if for whatever reason they don't look ready to play against BYU then it's it's gonna be a long ugly season for Tennessee Um, because I just don't see how you recover from going 0-2 against Georgia State and BYU but we'll see Um, but you know I I did see on Twitter some people were saying that um, we like we as in like Tennessee fans just don't realize how how empty the cupboard was uh, when Bush that Bush left us. So, like, I mean, we're going to be bad for a while before uh, it writes the ship here. I mean, it's a fair assessment, but, I mean, Pruitt still has some guys to work with. I mean, he, had, he assembled what is one of arguably the best staffs on paper around the conference uh, with guys with lots of accolades, lots of championship rings on that staff, and, and they can't get that team prepared to uh, – and fired up to play Georgia State in their season opener at home in front of, you know, almost 100,000 fans. I mean, it's – give me a break. I mean, that was just very poor preparation in part by Jeremy Pruitt and his staff. Yeah, I, I would side, side with you on that, JB, is that, I, I mean, just no matter what the circumstances are, there's never, there's never really any point that I can see Tennessee losing to Georgia State at home in the season opener. Um, maybe if Georgia State was – you know, a really good group of five team like Central Florida or even like uh, Arkansas State or 
um, App State, somebody like that, then I could understand a little bit. But it's just 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 hard to explain when they went two and ten last year. So um, we'll see, JB. We'll see. I gotta gotta keep your head up at least for basketball season. <laughs> Hopefully it'll get better for you. Let's uh let's go to the other two games real quick because I, I thought we were gonna talk a little bit about those games and we'll try to talk cover those real quick before we get into our uh, weekly uh, weekly uh, discussions here. So there's Memphis and Ole Miss and Missouri and Wyoming. Um, Missouri Wyoming holds. Um, this again Missouri obviously should have won, but Wyoming's not a bad team either, right? And Kelly Bryant um, didn't have a bad game against Wyoming. He threw for four hundred twenty three yards. No, he definitely didn't. I mean, this was this game uh, is going to fall mostly on coaching and defense, in my opinion. Uh, I thought the offense played fine. I thought, um, you know, Kelly Bryant played actually a really good game. Um, you know, for some reason, they just uh, could not get their running game going. Um, obviously, that running game was huge for them a season ago. Um, you know, Roundtree had 15 carries for 41 yards. Uh, Beatty had 16 for 53. So, they just really struggled getting the running game going. And, uh, man, they did not stop the run on defense. I mean, you know, me and JB did the Missouri preview, and I just kept coming back to this defense and just saying, like, man, like, this defense, like, you know, the middle linebacker is a really good player and really fun to watch, and, you know, he's all conference and all that stuff. But, you know, they just do not have a great defense this year. I mean, it is – I don't know if it's coaching, I don't know if it's talent, but they just – they're not that great on defense. And, you know, Wyoming ran through them like uh, shit through a tin horn as uh, one Nick Saban coined once upon a time. And uh, basically just just ran straight through them, uh, especially that second quarter. That second quarter, I mean, just really dominated, scored 27 points um, in that quarter alone. They only scored 10 the rest of the game. So um, just really, really struggled to stop the run. That, that defense is going to be a problem for them this year. And, uh, you know, if you're a Missouri fan, obviously you're really disappointed because all the talk, you know, all year had been, oh, they're going to be 7 0 8 no going into the Georgia game. Like, that's all anybody was talking about. And, you know, obviously, you know, I mean, I don't think anyone expected them to lose this game. But, you know, I think that the hype around Missouri, like, I think was a little bit um, – I mean, it's so easy to say this now because they had already lost the game. But the hype around Missouri was, to me, was so much more based on their schedule than it was them themselves. You know what I mean? Like, that, that was the thing is, like, when people talk about, like, oh, Missouri's going to be really good this year, and it's like, why? And it's like, because their schedule's so easy. And it's like, well, that doesn't mean they're a good team. That just means they have an easy schedule. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, the defense, you know, doesn't care. You know, it doesn't matter, like, what your what your schedule is when your defense can't stop the run. And it doesn't matter what your schedule is when you can't, you know, you can't run the ball. And, you know, Kelly Bryant, yeah, he had a huge game. And I think – you know, I think Missouri can bounce back and have a good season. I really do. But, um, you know, I, I – they're not a complete football team, and they really need to get this sorted out. Yeah, well, I feel like you just—that was very therapeutic for you, Holt, because you've been you've been high on Missouri last year, and you got burned. And this year, you weren't as high on them because you learned your lesson. But like, it's like you're you're telling everybody again, season two, that Missouri is not Missouri. Missouri is not the team you think they are. Missouri's not the team that everybody in the media told you they were based on their schedule. Not exactly. On their level. Let's move on to the last SEC game for the week. Uh, Ole Miss versus Memphis. JB, me and you were at this game separately. Um, Memphis is supposed to be a pretty decent team, and they were favored in this game by four or four and a half points, and they won this game by five points. But watching the game, we'll go back to the eyeball test. Memphis didn't look great in this, this game. They didn't look just – 
that much better than Ole Miss. Uh, to me, just Ole Miss looked really, really bad. I agree, and what really stood out to me in this game was quarterback play on both sides. Uh, Matt Corral for Ole Miss, Brady White for Memphis. Uh, they both did not look good at all. Brady White, we'll start off with Brady White. problem with him is that he doesn't really have that much arm strength, so Norvell is having to call a lot of double screens and uh, short five-yard out routes and slants to try to mask it. And another problem with him is that he doesn't have any mobility at all, so that's two weaknesses that's already working against him. And then on the flip side, when you look at Matt Corral, yeah, he's got some scrambling, scrambling ability, but his decision-making is absolutely erratic. And his accuracy is not pinpoint as well. So, I mean, it's, it's, when you have poor quarterback play, it's going to result in an ugly game, which we saw back on Saturday. But I will make uh, one positive for Ole Miss. Uh, the defense did look much improved because this Memphis offense last year was ranked top 10 in the country and a total offense and points scored. So, I mean, this is not a bad offense that they were playing against. And uh, got to give credit to, um, you know, the hires that uh, Matt Luke made on defense by bringing in a former power five head coach to uh, try to right the ship a little bit. And they did look much improved, but on the flip side, the offense for Ole Miss was just not getting anything going. Uh, Scotty Phillips was pretty well contained. He only had 62 yards on 19 carries. And that's what Ole Miss wanted to do in that game against Memphis was establish the run game because in general, uh, SEC uh, teams against a, uh, you know, group of five defensive lines usually can hold their own and uh, controlled the line of scrimmage. But Memphis really did well in uh, limiting Ole Miss and what they wanted to do and trying to establish a run game and keep it away from their Memphis offense. And that was really the difference in this game, too. It was, it was also the uh, line of scrimmage play, and Memphis really held their own against Ole Miss. All in all, though, Matt Luke is still in trouble, right, JB? Yes, he's absolutely in trouble. I mean, I've, I've seen some coaches' hot seats uh, that don't have him listed high. But I can guarantee you fans are going to be even more restless and it will be taken notice pretty soon, I think, especially if they can't beat Arkansas this next weekend. It's going to get really ugly in Oxford. It might be the ugliest situation in the SEC. Yeah, I think if, the, if they lose next weekend, he's not making it through the season. I feel like you all have, have a good feel because not necessarily that you're out talking to a bunch of Ole Miss fans, but you are in Memphis and you're around Ole Miss fans or you hear it on the sports radio talk and – I don't know. I just feel like you're closer to it than than most are. So despite maybe the national perception that Matt Luke needs year two or they need to let him have year two and see what he can do for the end of the year, I mean, you talk to some Ole Miss fans, and they do not like him. They didn't like him last year. They didn't like him when they hired him. No. Well, that's the thing, too, is, I mean, if you take away that Egg Bowl a couple years ago where Nick Fischel got hurt in the first quarter, I mean, what has he accomplished in his career? That's the only big win he's had. He got hired off of that job, and he's he hasn't done anything since then to, to basically, um, I mean, earn the right to be an SEC coach. I mean, honestly, like, the reason that they hired him in the first place was because he was an Ole Miss guy, and they were going through some trouble with NCAA, and they, they needed someone who could steady the ship and not, you know, leave for the first chance he got. You know what I mean? They knew that they could, you know, rely on him. They knew they could trust him. He wouldn't leave him and uh, leave him in a tough situation, so – um, they kind of got stuck in this situation, and, you know, they're having to pay the price now. And, um, you know, I think they're going to be looking for a new coach uh, come the end of the season. And, you know, I mean, just looking at this game, I mean, the offensive line for Ole Miss just really struggled in this one. Um, the, you know, obviously Corral really struggled as well. You know, obviously we know what Scotty Phillips can do, and they have some talented receivers. So, 
you know, if they get that offensive line figured out, um, you know, I do think Corral has the ability to be kind of a dangerous quarterback. He's definitely going to be a liability, though. I mean, you know, he kind of, you know, reminds me of maybe like how Jay Cutler was in the NFL or maybe more like Bo Wallace was in his time at Ole Miss. Um, he's, he's still not quite that good yet, but that's just kind of the player that I think his ceiling is um, just because he has a really good arm. And, some you know, he'll throw one like right on the money, like out of nowhere. You know what I mean? Like he'll just be on the run and just make like a perfect throw. So, you know, he's definitely – the potential is there. He's got a really strong arm. But, man, I mean, one of ten on third down is just brutal. And 93 yards passing with 80 yards rushing. I mean, they didn't crack 100 in passing or rushing. That is that is ugly. And, I mean, you know, look, I'm not trying to take anything away from Memphis. I think Memphis has a chance to be probably the best group of five team um, in the country this year. And But that defense is not that good. I mean, like – I don't care who you're playing. I don't care if you're playing Alabama. If you can't crack 100 yards rushing or passing, I mean, that is a rough game. Going one for 10 on third down, too. I mean, man, that is that is rough. It is. It is indeed. We'll stay, stay on topic here, Holt, because um, we have finally finished covering all the SEC games here. Um, now we're in. But we'll, we'll get to our questions here. Um, we we want to talk about this hot seat. And you, you talked about Matt Luke. Both of us talked about Matt Luke. Well, in my mind, we have – a few coaches on the hot seat in the SEC. We have Matt Luke at Ole Miss, and we have Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee. And I think that might be it. You you could – you know, I, I take the back. You have Will Muschamp on, at South Carolina, although I don't think his seat is as hot. And then you could even have Barry Odom at, after this as well. But I think you, you want to narrow it down to the three. You would have uh, Pruitt, uh, Muschamp, and uh, Matt Luke. Out of all those three, J.B., who are you projecting to go first? Oh, it'd be, I would definitely tell you it's uh, Matt Luke. That'll be the first to go out of those three. Yeah, I, I don't even think Pruitt is even on as hot of a seat as Barry Odom is. I think Barry no. Odom's seat's hotter than Jerry Pruitt's is. No, I would put, if I had to rank him, I would probably put uh, Matt Luke number one. After that, I'd still put Malzahn second, even though he did yeah. beat Oregon. He's still, uh, I you think know, so and, and hot on, on the hot seat on the Plains. Uh, third. I'd probably put, uh, you know, I guess you could put Barry Odom third on there. Fourth would be Muschamp. And then fifth would be uh, Jeremy Pruitt. Yeah, mine would be the same, but I would switch uh, I would switch Muschamp with um, Barry Odom. I think Muschamp is, is, would be number three. And it's, 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 I'm glad you brought up Malzahn because I felt kind of the same way. I mean, yeah, like they had a good win uh, over Oregon, but, you know, uh, you can't tell me that, like, halfway through the third quarter of that game that there weren't some Auburn fans, you know, ready to fire them. And they come back and win that game, and that's great. But they have a couple, like, bad losses in the next few weeks. Um, you know, I think he's right back on the hot seat. And I think he's – you know, if they go, like, 8-4 and four or 7-5 and five this year, I think he's done. Um, and they got a pretty tough schedule as well. So, um, you know, definitely I don't think Malzahn's completely taking himself off the hot seat at this point. I think they're going to have to uh, – to get a couple of big wins uh, later in the season for him to, to keep his job. Malzahn was probably on the hottest seat going into the year. Maybe Matt Luke was on the hotter seat, but I mean, it's kind of hard to be that on that hot of a seat on, in year two, but they were very, very close to my surprise to firing Malzahn last year. It just came down to a buyout number. I think that was too large to swallow, um, but they, they had donors that were going to pay it, believe it or not, but um, according to reports, but Malzahn was on the hottest seat coming into the season. So um, the win against Oregon does help. But, yeah, it's – I mean, they still have a tough schedule. And 
it's also like kind of an eye test too, I think, Holt, with how their offense looks and how improved in general or how much they compete with teams because they've they just they've looked ugly in the last last year and the last couple of years, I guess. Yeah, I mean, they really have. And, um, you know, I mean, it's just one of those things where, like, coaches, I mean, when you play in this conference, when you coach in this conference, it's always going to be, um, you know, it's just always going to be tough. You know, you get paid a lot of money to win games, and someone's going to come in last place. And, uh, you know, coaches are going to get fired. That's just kind of the nature of the business. And, um, you know, obviously, at a place like Auburn, they expect to win national championships and have a Nick Saban and. Tuscaloosa definitely doesn't help your cause at all. And as far as Ole Miss goes, I mean, you know, they they don't have as high of an expectations as Auburn does, but they definitely expect to be more competitive than they have been the last few years. And, you know, I guess the one good thing for Ole Miss, as JV says, they got that defense turned around a little bit. But, you know, I don't think it's going to be enough to save Matt Luke's job. This could be a year similar to, I think, a couple years ago when Bielema and Bush Jones and I think it was um, Hugh Freeze – all got fired. And there might have been a couple – it was uh, Kevin Sumlin got fired. It was uh, just a year where all the coaches got fired um, in the SEC. I think that was McElwain's year as well um, a couple years ago. And I think this year could be very similar where there could be more than just one or two coaches that are fired from the SEC. Yeah, I mean, it's almost kind of just, you know, regressing back to the mean. Last year we didn't have any. So this year we're due for a bunch of changes. But Odom is the sleeper. I mean, to me, he's the one that no one's talking about that I think I think could get fired by the end of the year. I don't have a good feel for Missouri fans what their what their uh, feeling is towards Barry Odom. I can understand like why you would not like him, but I just don't know if they don't love him. He also is an alum there, so I don't know if that buys him some time. Although it doesn't buy any time for Matt Luke, I feel like either. Well, I feel like they underachieved last year. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, how many under? Giving years can you have in a row before you know you're done? Yeah, very good point. Very good point. Um, kind of segueing to the next point or next question here is out of all the teams that lost this past week, JB, which one do you think is the most likely to rebound? I would actually say it's Missouri just because of, I mean, I know we were just yeah. talking about Barry but I mean, just one, their schedule, uh, it's very favorable. They got some winnable games coming up. And uh, two, they also have a really experienced team. Uh, lots of juniors and seniors on their two deep. I mean, it's not it's not a team with youth. I mean, it's a team that has a lot of experience in the locker room, and you know, it's continuity also with being there for a few years now. I would put them as my candidate as the most likely to rebound from a bad loss last week. On the other end of the spectrum, hole, which team that won is the one you're still concerned about? Um. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, you look at Arkansas. I feel like that's the obvious one. Um. I think that's a little bit too obvious for me. Um, I've been, like, out on a limb here, and I'm just going to keep uh, going going with it. Um, I think Georgia's a little bit overrated. Um, you know, they didn't look great. They ran the ball really well. Fromm only threw for 156 yards. Um, you know, as I said earlier, they were one of seven on third down. Um, you know, yeah, they were able to, like, get some big plays in the running game and that big offensive line and all those running backs. But they're going to face some teams later in the year who are going to be able to stop the run. They're going to be able to get after Fromm. And I'm just not sure they have the playmakers on the outside that they did a season ago. And uh, I'm not quite as sold on the offensive coordinator as I was with Jim Chaney last year. And the defense is good, but I don't think it's great. So, I mean, I'm not saying that I think Georgia's going to go like 6-6 six and six or anything like that, but I would not be surprised at all Georgia lost a couple games. And um, some people consider them a national title contender. 
Um, and I'm just not – I'm not there right now. I, I see them more as like a 10-2 type team, type team. JB, is that the craziest assessment you've ever heard of Georgia? No, absolutely not. I don't think it's far-fetched whatsoever. I mean, I'm, I still think Georgia to me is a one-loss team. I mean, they're exceptionally talented, so I think they're good for at least one loss. But I mean, I could I could see them going anywhere from nine and three to twelve and zero. But I, right now, I'm still on the eleven and one train. Same with you, JB. It's the it's that time of the show where we do your your very favorite what a chicken segment. So tell me, JB, who is the what a chicken nominee for the week? Isn't this one pretty obvious? I mean, it has to go to the entire Tennessee football program. Uh, that was an absolute embarrassment, not just for that program, but for the entire SEC to uh, lose a home game to Georgia State. Uh, you know, a completely abysmal effort uh, by the coaches, the players, uh, just complete lack of energy on the sidelines, uh, lack of energy on the field, uh, just an absolutely embarrassing effort, uh, poorly prep, poor preparation. I mean, I can go on and on, but come on, they are the absolute chickens in the SEC, and they are going to be ripped apart by the media, and rightfully so. And would you argue that these players are soft where they actually care what the media and fans are saying so they might be even more affected than they otherwise would be? I don't even know if I'd call them soft. I just think the culture in Knoxville is that these players, the up, especially the upperclassmen, just don't give a shit. Uh, it's, a lot of those guys were uh, Butch's guys, and I just don't think a lot of these upperclassmen are completely bought in to uh, Jeremy Pruitt and – you know, some of it can be on Pruitt, some of it can be on the players, but uh, you got if you're if you're a really good head coach, you're going to get these upperclassmen to buy in from the previous regime, and I just don't think a lot of the upperclassmen have bought in, and you can't win with a youthful team either. So you know, maybe in a, maybe next year, a couple years from now, Pruitt is still able to survive. Maybe they can improve, but right now, I don't think Pruitt has the entire team. Yeah, I, I was just thinking if I was a four or five star recruit, I don't know why I would consider Tennessee right now. It just seems like too much of a mess to get involved with for me, unless there was like some kind of playing time issue where I could get more playing time in Tennessee where I wasn't going to get at another school. I just don't see why you try to go to Tennessee and get involved with all that mess. So it really does look like a dumpster fire, um, even still with Jeremy Pruitt, even because of the loss at Georgia State. Oh, other nominees for What a Chicken, because I feel. Like, that's, that is a good one, but I feel like there's others, too. Like, me personally, I was going to say the Ole Miss offensive line uh, against Memphis, they didn't hold up well. It allowed that, that uh, safety in the end zone um, against Memphis's defensive line. And like you were saying earlier, Holt, that Memphis defense isn't that great. They're, they're not anywhere near the defenses that Ole Miss is going to see in the SEC West. Um, so that's my what a chicken, but I don't know if you have another one, Holt. Yeah, I do. I actually have more of a national one. It's not SEC related. Um, actually, a guy named Mark Farley. Do either one of y'all know who that is? Do not. So I'm probably gonna take some a little bit of heat for this one, uh, but he's actually the head coach at the University of Northern Iowa, and uh, the reason I picked him is because uh, they his team played a great game against Iowa State. Uh, they were in double overtime. Iowa State scored in the first. You know, they had the ball first. They scored in the first overtime. Kicked the extra point. Northern Iowa comes back and they score a touchdown. And instead of going for two and going for the win, they kick the extra points sent to a third overtime, which they of course lose in the third overtime. And basically why I'm singling him out as the wetted chicken is because when you're the underdog, you have got to go for the win in that situation. You go for two every single time. When you're the underdog, you have got to go for two right there. 
You the game's going to come down to one play. That's your best shot of winning the game. You're not going to win the game by outlasting a Power Five team in a situation like that. When you're an FCS team playing a group, playing a, a Power Five team and a pretty good one at that, you are not going to win a battle of attrition. You have got when you have that chance to win the game, you take it. You go for the points right there. You go for the win. And if you don't get it, you know, hey, it wasn't your day. You know what I mean? But your best shot of winning that game is on that two-point conversion. And the fact that he kicked that extra point right there to me is why he's the what is chicken for me this week. And I'm very passionate about this. I don't know why, but I was very upset. I just assumed he was going to go for two. I didn't even think twice about it. When they lined up for the extra point, I, like, was about to rip my hair out. And then, of course, they lose, like, five minutes later. That's actually a very compelling rant. I agree exactly with you on going for two. I mean, I'm big on going for a fourth down, onside kicking, and um, going for two every time anyway. But um, especially given the circumstances when you're not projected to win the game anyway um, and you're outmatched by your your opponent uh, on talent. So I agree with that too, Hulk. So very good job there. Um, Let's move on to the SEC Players of the Week. Um, we are supposed to pick one individually, so I'm going to go first so I can possibly steal one of yours. Um, mine is going to be Judy from Alabama. I don't know the exact stats. I think it's like 13 receptions, over 100 yards, and a couple touchdowns, something like that. I'm about to pull it up here. Um, 10 receptions, 137 yards, and one touchdown. Um, not that it was very surprising that Alabama blew out Duke, but um, he is probably the best receiver in the SEC, if not the country right now and I just think he needs a little bit more recognition than he's getting I mean he's the number one player on Mel Carver's big board I mean how much recognition do you want him to I don't know man I just I feel I well what I guess what I would say is that people give Tua a, a lot of recognition um but I don't know if they give Judy the recognition I mean maybe they do but I, I don't know I just I feel like people give Tua a recognition but not Judy the recognition yeah I mean I could see that um I guess um, so I think I was actually going to go as I really like hate to do this, um, uh, because I said I wasn't going to, but after looking through, um, for a little bit, um, I'm actually going to have to go with Joe Burrow, uh, from LSU, uh, 23 or 27. So really efficient day passing only 278 yards, but that's totally fine. If you're that efficient, five touchdowns, zero interceptions. I basically played like a perfect game. Um, you know, I know it was just against. Georgia Southern and, you know, whatever. I'm not going to sit here and act like that LSU's offense is going to, you know, be putting up 60 points a game or anything like that. Um, but at the same time, this is exactly what you want to see out of Joe Burrow. Comes out, has a great first game. Um, you know, there's maybe some other guys that maybe play a little bit tougher competition, but I just think that he played about as perfect a game as he could have played. So I'm going to go with Joe Burrow, Joe Brady. From, uh, LSU. I like that. I, I was peeping his stats. And I did like his stats hold, so I, I do agree with that as well. JB, who you got? Well, I really like Holt's pick, and that would have been one of mine as well. Also, like uh, your pick, Holt. So, uh, but I, I can't pick the same game because otherwise I would have picked Tua Tagovailoa. So I'm going to roll with um, DeAndre Swift from Georgia. Uh, he had a really solid game. Uh, he only had about, I think he had 16 carries, but he had 147 yards. So he averaged 9.2 yards per carry. And he's the best running back in the SEC, and his uh, 2019 campaign is off on the right foot. So I'm going to roll with Joe, uh, DeAndre Swift this week. I was really hoping you were going to say Colin Hill. <laughs> yeah, Colin Hill actually had better numbers than him. 
He did. But, I mean, maybe against the worst defense, if you want to argue that. Um, we can do honorable yeah. mention, uh, Jalen Hurts, even though he's not in the SEC. He, I still feel like he's okay. one of ours. Yeah, we didn't really point out Terry Wilson either. Terry Wilson actually had a really good game against Toledo. Um, I know maybe that got a little bit overshadowed just because they struggled a little bit. But he was 19-26, uh, 246 yards and two touchdowns. So that's, uh, that's really good to see. Um, you know, I think that Kentucky offense is maybe being slept on just a little bit. Uh, Kavazia Smoke had a pretty big game as well. Um, so, I think, you know, Kentucky – maybe a little bit more explosive this year. You know, obviously without Snell, they're going to rely a little bit more on the passing game. And if you remember early in the season last year, Terry Wilson did make some plays downfield throwing the ball, especially in that Florida game. Um, so that'll be interesting to see if he can kind of take that step forward this year and uh, be a little bit more of a playmaker this year. Kentucky's always slept on FYI, Holt. Yes, I'm aware. They, they remind us uh, pretty pretty uh, often how slept on they Let's are. Let's talk about the next 30 seconds, uh, three minutes. Um, the national games. The one that sticks out in my mind is the Oklahoma-Houston game on yesterday or last night. And like I said, Jalen Hurts looks even better at, at Oklahoma. And we're not just talking about – or what I'm what I'm thinking is not just his numbers. I mean, we, we all thought he was going to have more, I guess, better numbers at Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley. Uh, they always have high-powered offense. But if you actually watch the game, he had some strong throws, and that was – Always his weakness at Alabama. As people said, he couldn't throw the ball downfield. But he had some strong throws, like, right on target. So, I just thought he looked really good in that game. Yeah, I agree. And uh, Jalen Hurts would have been my pick for uh, the National Player of the Week uh, throughout the country. I mean, he was absolutely inspiring. He started off his Heisman campaign. I mean, right now he's a Heisman front runner after week one. I mean, he, I would have put him in my uh, Heisman finalist list if I could have bet on it, too. Because he, he's just made for that Lincoln-Riley system. Uh, any quarterback that goes in that system that's talented, he's going to look good. And, you know, he's got a, he's got a uh, chip on his shoulder, too, a lot to prove. And I really am rooting for uh, Jim Hurts to uh, show out this year in that Oklahoma offense. And a couple other uh, SEC transfer quarterbacks played pretty well. Also, um, obviously, Justin Fields at Ohio State, Jacob Eason at Washington, uh, both had really big games as well. So, there's some former SEC guys out there showing out. Um, you know, I guess I'll – I'm not really going to root for Justin Fields too hard, but, you know, Jacob Eason maybe a little bit. Um, so, we'll see. Yes, I would agree with you as well, Holt. Um, other national games that I can think of, um, not really. I just want to say, did you see the long, I think it was, what, 56-yard field goal for Nevada over Purdue, JP? I did. I stayed up late for that one. And uh, the whole game, uh, Purdue, it felt like they just were in control. But Nevada, you know, hung in there the entire game. And, you know, what a story that was for a, a true freshman kicker in his first game to nail a 56-yarder in front of his uh, home fans to uh, give him a win over a Power 5 opponent. I mean, can't really script that one any better for that guy. What about the Arizona game holds? Did you get, to, did you get a chance to watch the Arizona? Oh, that was two weeks ago. God, Lord, I'm getting losing my mind. I think that was this Saturday. It was last Saturday. It was week zero, right, Holt? Yeah, that was uh, that was right after the Florida Miami game. They lost to uh, Hawaii. Kevin Sumlin is uh, Kevin Sumlin. not looking. <coughs> yeah, no other games really stick out in my mind, Holt. Uh, we did we did have the uh, great picture pro- provided to us uh, for the Syracuse Liberty game when where Hugh Freeze was coaching from his 
looks like hospital bed and the press box. Um, I try not to laugh because I think he does have a um, serious ailment. What is it, Jamie? You you know the exact, I feel like you know the exact sickness or whatever he's recovering from. Yeah, he's been fighting a uh, staph infection for the last couple of weeks. But it was nonetheless a great picture. Am I right, Holt? Yeah, it was. And, uh, you know, leave it to Heat Freeze to uh, try to make a story out of of nothing. He couldn't just... Could not be the center of attention for for one Saturday. Just had to, you know, basically turn that into some whole big thing. I, I feel like, I feel like he could have done something a little bit more subtle, uh, something that would not be as covered. Uh, but I don't think that's what he wanted. I think he wanted some attention. I think he wanted people talking about him. And uh, you know, I'm sure that it was all just because he, you know, is super religious and loves God and all that stuff. <laughs> Don't don't be so down on our boy Hugh Freeze. He's our Memphis boy. I feel like he's our Memphis boy, but not really. He's just coach of Briarcrest. And he So is he gonna take over for, for Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee? I really hope he year? takes over for Norvell after Norvell leaves for a different job. I could see that. Yeah. So he takes over for Norvell who takes the Tennessee job. Is that yeah, correct? I don't want I don't want Norvell. Remember you can't you can't hire him because he's got the gambling problem. That's just true. <laughs> you might win some games, have better a nice looking offense, but hey, man, he'll gamble all day long. <laughs> that's uh, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard about that. Um, any other national games or topics you would all you would like to cover before we peace out and set this up for week two preview next couple of days from now? No, I think Holt and I are pretty good on this. Uh, we covered everything that we, uh, we wanted to cover. Uh, week one was an exciting week. But uh, week two, we're going to learn a lot more about these teams. I'm excited to learn more about the teams that didn't perform well, and I'm excited to see some of the teams that did perform well to carry over the momentum from week exactly. one. Right, Holt? Um, I was not listening, but yeah, sure. JB said it, then I'm sure it's true. All right. So we'll we'll, uh, we'll park it right here until week two <coughs> preview in a couple of days. So we're excited for that. Thanks for listening, and make sure to follow us on Twitter. And you can tweet at us. For suggestions on the podcast, we're always open to new ideas. See ya. Thanks for tuning in to another outstanding episode of the SEC Slow Smoke Podcast. Be sure to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SEC Slow Smoked. Spread the good word on this podcast like the chili and cheese on your fries. If you like this podcast, tell a friend because there's plenty to go around. Oh.